What's up, folks? We have a great podcast today, especially if you have kids, ages, any range, because eventually they got to go to college and they're probably doing a lot of extracurricular activities. I think a lot of the listeners, type A individuals, most of you guys make multiple six figures. Majority of the people these days are accredited investors and we are moving to an accredited investor base movie, but uh, more news on that in a future podcast. Now, check out our... Now, I want to invite you guys to one of our future events. We've got several of them coming up. In October 1st, we are going to be taking over at Napa Valley. We're going to be putting everybody on a bus, going out to a few wineries. So if you're interested in that event, again, that's October 1st, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash Napa. Again, simplepassivecashflow.com slash Napa. We are also going to be doing an October 6th to 7th Huntsville, Alabama property tour. So if you guys have been investing in apartments alongside of us and haven't even visited these things, as I would probably say maybe less than a third of you guys haven't even checked out a classy apartment yet, good time to visit them because we've got quite a few assets and we're going to be doing a little bit of a grand opening party now that our Chase Creek apartments are done pretty much through construction and the clubhouse is all finished there. And we might even have some people moving in when we're there. But on October 6th, we're going to be doing the party and we invite everybody to come out and especially stay the next day, come on the tour with us and visit some of these apartments and really get some boots on the ground instead of just having some wine with us in Napa Valley, even though not that's not that bad. And we always preach being a passive investor and, be, and living like a passive investor, which is focusing on your network is your net worth as opposed to a lot of these kind of non-accredited investors running around with their heads chopped off, trying to burr strategy, buy, rent, rehab, repair. Just a lot of work and just doesn't really make too much sense. I've got the dates also planned for our annual retreat in Hawaii, January 13th through the 16th. That is going to be on the island of Oahu. If you want access to any of these events, go to simplepassacashflow.com slash events. The Napa tour on October 1st, the Huntsville tour October 6th, 7th, and the January 13th to the 16th, 2023 in Hawaii. All those links are at simplepassivecashflow.com slash events. If you haven't yet joined our club, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. That's the prerequisite first, because at our events, if you notice, you don't really pay to come right away. We've got to vet you. we got to know who we are, because I think that's what sets us apart from any other investor group out there which is we vet people coming and we know who people are because if we have one random person out there who's just a little weird, to me, that reflects badly on our brand and our community. So we try our best to vet the people coming and we need to get to know you first before you. So make sure you guys complete the form at simplepassacashflow.com slash club. And if you guys been lurking on our newsletter and our insider email list, book a call with me and let's get to know each other before the schedule fills up with all these late summer travels. Now, and we really want to get to know you guys. And after all, it's all this is a relationship game. Enjoy the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. 
Hey, Simple Passive Cash Flow listeners. Today, we are going to be taking a break from the normal stir and taxes. We know most of the listeners out there, at least most of the investors, a lot of you guys have a million, two million dollars or greater, and you typically have offspring and children. And we get it. You're busy and you have ample resources to pour into those perfect children of yours. Maybe you guys differently, but today's guest is Linda Flanagan, and she has a new book out called Take Back the Game, which you can get at Amazon. The tagline is, how money and mania are ruining kids' sports and why it. Now, I think a lot of listeners today will agree that grit is one of the very important things that a lot of us successful people can attribute to. And one of those that I hear a lot from our listeners, especially most of our listeners are male, is that our parents made us go to baseball and support team sports like that. I thought today's Linda's coming on the show would be very beneficial for a lot of folks who have younger children or at least hear a different perspective. But thanks for coming on, Linda. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, so give, maybe give a start off a little bit of background on what you did prior to writing the book. And yeah, we'll get going there. I had another life before becoming, before writing this book, I started, really, I was involved in the national security field, the national security analyst at the Kennedy School at Harvard for a few years, then took a turn and had kids. And then when they were young, I started coaching because I've always been a interested and competitive runner. And Throughout my set, I coached for 17 or 18 years. And throughout that time, I also picked up various projects, writing projects, and became very interested in youth sports, both as a coach and seeing what was happening from my perspective with the parents I was dealing with, which were high school girls as a high school running coach, and also with my own kids who are now in their 20s. But when I began coaching, were young and so I was grappling with the same with the same pressures, probably lesser pressures then than there are now on parents to get kids playing sports. And the world fascinated me. And it was so different from the way I experienced sports growing up and what I got out of sports growing up. And there's a very big difference between, at least when I grew up, it was a general have fun league in soccer and a lot of baseball. There's a lot of like dynasty teams and different leagues where you have to pay some big bucks to get into. And it starts to be right. very serious. Yes. And I stand firmly on the side of saying that's those expensive leagues and teams, especially at young ages, are not only a waste of money, but in the long run, likely harmful to your kids or not to their advantage to play in expensive teams and leagues when they're young. You're paying, you're lining someone's pocket who's convinced you that your kids need this, that they if they're going to get to the next level or whatever, the, there's always some kind of platitude about why they need to do more and more. But uh, when they're young, when they're not adolescents yet, it's the expensive, time-consuming teams and leagues often do more harm than good. My mission at simplepassivecashflow.com is to help hardworking individuals like you do what I did, which is leave a professional career behind by building an investment portfolio where the passive income exceeded my daily expenses. It frustrates me that there are so many people out there mindlessly investing in Roth, IRA, 401k, mutual funds, or worse, going through a useless financial planner who is just selling retail and financial products. Here's the problem. There are multiple middlemen taking a cut of your returns, all the while you take all the rest. 
In our community, we spend a little bit of effort to educate ourselves and build organic relationships with other past investors to source the best off-market opportunities, all while enjoying higher returns and better security because the asset that you purchased is a real hard asset, not some kind of fake stuff like a crypto or altcoin. The trifecta is simple. Number one, syndications to get number two, passive losses to unlock other tax best practices. And thirdly, infinite banking. Join our network for more insider access and educational material at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And also sign up for a free strategy call once you're in there. Enter our ecosystem. So if you did come out to Hawaii on our annual investor retreat, you'd be able to develop those relationships with the right people. To check out future events, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash events. And we'll see you in person. One, another thing I can think to your point, there's a lot of kids that, quite frankly, aren't really good at the sports that they're playing, and they wouldn't even be able to play the Den game because they aren't able to make the team or make the cut. It reminds me of a lot of the folks out there will do this like little tax trick to they'll call their kids models so they can write off, I think, six grand per kid. It's some whimsical thing that a lot of investors will do, but. I hate to break it to you, a lot of you guys, but your kids are ugly. They're not <laughs> models, right? Oh, I, God. I didn't realize people did that. Yeah, people do that. <laughs> uh, I'm just joking, folks. Jeez. Same thing with the sports, right? Like, yes. Yes. And I think I was thinking about this today that when your kids are in high school and they're participating on some of the club teams that advertise themselves as, well, we had X many recruits go off to Division One, the Ivy League or the top-tier Division three schools. I think it's really important if you're at that level to ask them some serious questions because there, it is true that some percentage of those kids on those teams will be recruited. Very few will get any scholarship money. It's very slim percentage. But some will get admitted to a better school because they played varsity sports. But there are, it's important for parents to ask questions of those leagues because for every one child that goes off playing college, which may not be the nirvana everyone thinks it is. Who knows how many more are have been gone through all of this, these years and years of club play, league play, expensive travel teams, and ends up with nothing. Most kids do not get recruited. So those club and clubs and leagues that promise it, they should ask for data on it because you're not on the A team, chances aren't good that you're going to go to play in college and you're still paying the same fees and sacrificing all that time. But for those, so to catch some people up, because I wasn't super familiar before doing this interview, like when does the club league start? Some kids will start to play baseball and soccer and they're like five years old. Do the club league start at that point or is there other major entry points that people will come in? It's really entirely dependent on where you live and what's being offered in your community, what's the culture. Where I live in New Jersey, it's very competitive. It's a very densely populated state. There's a ton of people and a ton of ambitious people with money who want their kids to play sports. As a result, there are clubs, there are club teams available for second and third graders. And some of these kids travel. So depending on where you live and who is like how saturated the market is with these private teams, They'll offer programs for kids at younger and younger ages. In fact, in my town, I recently looked up one of our soccer programs, and they offer soccer for U5, which is four-year-olds. So I presume those aren't travel teams, but I think starting in second grade, they're travel teams, at least in my area. And again, it's I don't where you are, I can't say for sure. It's dependent on the area, and sports tend to dominate in certain regions 
lacrosse is big in New Jersey. Track and field is big. Baseball is big elsewhere. So it's yeah. what, what region dependent. And, and what are the kind of the ranges? Just again, a lot of people are just unaware at this, right? A lot of our investors, they grew up in semi lower middle class families. Mm-hmm. Just they, they're like me and just go to the $200 a year league. Like what are these club sports? No. What are the ranges? It's, there's different numbers that are thrown around, but the Aspen Institute Project Play estimated that the average family that has children playing sports spends $693 per child per season for sport. However, another study done by, conducted by Harris Poll, it was somewhat limited study. It was a, of 1,001 adults with at least one child playing competitive and What's key here is that they had to have $25,000 of investable assets so that they weren't impoverished. Some spent $500 a month per child. Some spent 8% spent $12,000 per child a year. It's all over the map, depending on the sport. Some sports are more expensive than others. Nationally, ice hockey is the most expensive sport. Yeah. And followed by, oh, I think it's field hockey and gymnastics are right up there too. So there's, it's the predictable, the usual suspects are, would be the most expensive. Yeah. So I know you have a lot of the downsides, which we'll get into in a bit, but before we do something that kind of comes up to my head, and I think I echo like a lot of our audience who are other type A parents is like, I don't want my kid to go to the leisure league where they hand out participation trophies. I would like to them to grind and be up against some serious talents and, and develop a, a grit. Because if not, mm-hmm. and not for sports, sometimes the only point where they get to make it and or break it is when they interview for a job. And that's sometimes too late to figure it out <laughs> at that point to to step yes. up and, and do their craft oh. and perform under pressure. But what what's the, I bet you meet a lot of folks like myself and our audience mm-hmm. kind of maybe walk through some of the, the cons of that mentality. The cons of that mentality, it, I guess I, I totally understand and sympathize with that point of view. And I think many parents have that perspective that sports are there, like, toughen kids up a little bit, teach them some, uh, pull up their socks and get to work and stop moaning and, yeah, no blood, no foul. Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate that. And I understand that way of thinking. And I, although everyone moans about participation trophies, my kids never got one. That's all I can say. I think, and maybe yours have, and maybe they're more of a thing in the last 10 years, but everyone bemoans participation trophies. I think what a really important consideration is what age are you talking about? If they're little kids, if they are like in elementary school, the idea that they need to be around tough competitive players and so they can suck it up and belly up to the bar and hit the ball when they're two strikes. I think that's not a helpful way of thinking about kids and sport. I think there is a time for that as they get older, as they're in high school, when they're more able to handle it emotionally and intellectually and physically because they're certainly not developed when they're young, when they're in elementary school. But it also that if I think when parents have that kind of mentality that here are sports are you got to toughen up here that you're going to play to become to build your character to be develop your kind of warrior virtues, younger kids more often than not are going to flee from that because. The main reason they want to play sports is because they want to be with their friends and they want to have fun. We parents come into it with another outlook, but when they're kids, it's got to be fun. 
part of the fun is when they're good and they're playing well and they're playing with other good kids. I get that. And you want to get, you don't want to hold them back. The idea that this is going to somehow rob them of a future of being able to handle themselves in a job interview. I think that's pushing it. I would also argue and that the whole notion of grit has been such a celebrated concept now for years. And you know, I think it was Angela Duckworth who promoted it. And this is the, the new magic quality that kids need to be successful. And of course, we parents all want our kids to be able to hack it, to be able to manage and have resilience and stand back up after they have some kind of hardship. But grit is also can be an over overrated virtue. There's something to be said for not doing something you're terrible at after you've given it a go. As you were talking about with the team sports, like some of these kids, they're not great. Maybe they would be wiser to do something other than whatever that sport is. Try a different sport. Try a different activity entirely that's not athletic. Grit is, I think kids, this generation of kids has been so indoctrinated about grit that they've lost sight of, and parents too, to some extent, of what is it you're going to be gritty about? You shouldn't just grit for the sake of grit is not a virtue. It needs to be attached to some valuable thing that matters to you. But I think it can be really overstated, the value of it, particularly for young kids. They've got time to grow into those wonderful qualities that sports can deliver to kids. Yeah. Yeah, very similar to like adults, like I'll have a lot of calls, not many these days, but with like broke guys who like didn't go to college, they don't have that much money. Mm-hmm. And they have this, they buy into this like hustle culture, which is the mm-hmm. same thing. In my opinion, I tell these guys, yeah, you got to get to you got to do something you gotta get still <laughs> some value in the world, dude. But like yeah. many of our listeners, they grinded through decades of school and work and saved. And, mm-hmm. and it's something that I'm personally working on is getting away from the hustle culture and more finding spirituality. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, that's I'm just aware of the terms. I don't know if it's best yes. for kids. It, to me, this I don't know if I agree with this, but to me, a, a byproduct of letting your kids search for themselves in the world. I don't know why I say it like that. Like, you know, they're going to find, they're going to find themselves. I look back at myself. I was mm-hmm. a fat kid who like played video games. If I wasn't told what to do and go play baseball, I would just sit there and play Seek Out of Mana, Chrono Trigger for like hours and on. Obviously, as a parent, you need to, sometimes you need to nudge your kids and get them out of the basement and off the TV, or get outside or go meet your friends at the park. I, by, by, I'm a big believer in having kids, that they should be the ones calling the shots about what they play because to the greater the extent, the greater the decision to play is the parents, the less interested they're going to be. And at the same time, while wanting them to them be the ones that lead the way, where are they, where are they going to, what are they going to play? How often? They also need to be nudged sometimes. They need to be like yanked out of the basement and say, okay, what do you want to try? Pick something. You need to pick something. So yeah, there's a yeah. balance between giving them total freedom and being the one making the decision for them. There is like some nice middle ground in there. And that's what I think my current belief is. And I got like another couple of decades with my child is you got to search for finding that like thing that they have somewhat of an affinity towards and then mm-hmm. having them grind a little bit at that but i mean that, that kind of goes segues into your first your one of your topics in your book do you specialize in one year round sport or you love dabble and 
find that? Mm -hmm. What's your thought process there? The trend now is, as most people are aware, if you have kids and they're playing any sports, everyone knows that there's this emphasis on picking one and specializing, picking one sport and specializing. And even in some sports, picking one position in that sport and specializing it, specializing in it. Now, every medical professional, psychologist, anyone, any student of sports will tell you this is a crazy idea. It is not in the kid's interest because for all kinds of reasons, it shrinks their interest to such a tiny thing for one. And it's also physically, the more you specialize, the more you play one thing all the time, the more likely you are to get hurt. And then what do you have? It's like putting all your eggs in one basket. The specialization certainly before high school, is almost universally condemned, except by the people who are selling it to you as something you need to do to get your, to advance your child's athletics. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that. You, there's somewhat of a timeline here, right? Because if you just mm-hmm. let your kid dabble all the way through high school, college, there'll be that jack of all trades who has 15 minor degrees and no major, and who knows what they're going to do after college that point. You and I may disagree on this. I'm a big believer in the generalists. I think generalists are what the world needs. People who have some knowledge on a lot of things, that's what you need to be successful rather than, obviously there's some mix, but I think playing three sports and the three sport athlete is gone, is a relic at this point because kids are specializing, but they would be better off if they could play multiple sports to be better for their bodies. It'd be better for their mental health, for their ability to work with people, have different coaches but that's not what they're going to sell you. Yeah. And I think I, I acknowledge both sides. So what you're saying, the specialize and then be the generalist. It's just like how like in the investment world, they say you should have a diversified portfolio. I don't know why right. I say it like that either. But, <laughs> but then you have the pros being like diversification is for idiots that don't know what they're doing. So they mm-hmm. need to generalize. So like it's same thing, right? Like mm-hmm. each, and I guess maybe let's, if I were to, you know, have two sides of this, and you have the kids who are actually good at what they do and may be able to play in high school, D1, D2, D3, 80% of the kids, would you say 80% kids are just Joe averages, right? And Well, 6% of high school kids end up playing in college. So it's a pretty small number of kids who play at any level in college. Division one is the most competitive and then two and three. It's, we're talking about a fair, quite a small number go on to a next level anyway. Yeah. So let's stick with the masses, right? The kids that barely can get on a JV team, maybe, maybe a bench warmer on the high school, right? Those are, I think those are the parents that are listening. That's the masses. How should they go about, from, I guess from hearing you, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but take them through elementary time, multiple sports, see what, and then specialize mm-hmm. or? The core principle, in my view, is let them take the lead. All of the sports experts will tell you, ask your kid what he or she wants and let them take the lead. Introduce them to a lot of stuff. If you're in, you have the luxury of doing that, you're in an area where there are many different options, give them lots of options. Again, not so that they pick one and like narrow into it, but that's so that they have diversity of experience. If those, if that child wants to keep playing, keep playing, have them keep playing, keep trying more things. And very likely they'll decide for themselves. I really prefer baseball to soccer or tennis versus, I don't know, lacrosse. And they'll, they'll narrow their own path. And the more they make that decision, the more apt they will be to stick with it. Now, in the middle school years, 
you know, they're often school teams. It also depends on the area. In my area, there are middle school teams and they can play for their school team. There will be a lot of pressure to join a club team then. I would say even younger, depending on your child's interest, if they are absolutely crazy for a sport and they are desperate to play, I think it's fair to consider joining a club team in middle school. But recognizing that once you're on that team, you're not getting off that train until they graduate from high school or the train crashes and they quit and they get hurt. So it has to be entered into some caution. I would also advise any parent who's thinking about a kid really wants to join this club travel team and they love it and do this, that there should be some awareness or thought on the part of the parent about what's being given up doing this. Because if we do this, there is another cost. It's not just the, it's not just the price of the league and time and all that. It's what are you not doing with your, if you're married, you have a partner, you're not doing with your other kids. There's a cost associated with joining one of these teams. So they should be done with a lot of thought in advance. By high school, I'm a big believer in high school sports. I think they're the best. That's where kids have the most fun. It's always say it's the high school sports they enjoyed the most. When they're in college, they talk about high school was a fun time. That's to me where parents ought to be the most enthusiastic and encouraging. And your opinion on team versus individual sports, I think from like an application to real life, most people are employees, especially that listen to the show. And mm-hmm. yeah, you've got to band up and play on a team and feel the celebrations of a team. Because if not, you're not building your own damn dream. It's building the team. Some people mm-hmm. like get off on the team succeeding like military. But yes. Some of the minority of our group are entrepreneurs, myself, and it's the idea is give me the damn ball, get out the way, and let me score the carry the team to victory. And th- those are the, the sports like tennis or maybe track and field. But yes, track and any field. general thoughts? Yeah, general thoughts on that. Yeah, see, when I when you're talking about oh, get out of the way, give me the ball, and let me score, it reminded me of Michael Jordan in that documentary a couple of years ago about how he rallied. The way he rallied his team was to be. Yeah, he wasn't as bad as Kobe, right? Jordan, he was the man, but he made other people better around him. Pulling them into it a little bit, but. Yeah, yeah. I I, see, I guess I think that in terms of which is better, I think. Or is it depends on the kid? Depends entirely on the kid and what they're good at and what their inclination is. And some of these individual sports, they have a, a little gloss of the team aspect because even in tennis, there's five matches and the team wins if three of the three of the individual players and the doubles teams, three of those. T- so there is a team quality to most of this stuff, but I, I just think it's got to be from, come from the kid. They may be inclined to do this individual stuff and push themselves. I'm a runner. Runners are often self-congratulatory to say, but cerebral and independent and disciplined and but that it's, it has some qualities of a team sport when you're on a cross country team. But then there are other things where you're, if you have a shared goal, a basketball team where everyone is working together, I think that has got to build stronger team bonds than these individual sports do. And how that translates into the work world or real life, I don't know. It's probably really dependent on the personality of the person. Yeah. I imagine you could ask open ended questions like, how do you do? And how do you? And see what they say. Do they reflect from the team mm-hmm. side? You no, know, if I asked my younger bonehead self, I'd probably, if we lost, I'd probably blame it on the team. I went three for four with a triple and one <laughs> single. It's more on me. 
I can't remember what I was. I don't remember. I enjoyed sticking around with the teammates, eating after the game. We had a potluck. All I remember. See, that was fun. Okay, that's what you remember. Yeah. Most kids remember like the fun stuff. They remember going out for ice cream and that's what they remember. And that's the fun stuff. And there's something to be, <laughs> there's a lot to be said for that. Mainly because they'll be more inclined to stay with it. If it's fun, if it's not a grind constantly. I would also caution some of your listeners if, if you if your podcast listeners are generally like have gotten by on grit and grinding it out as you put it and very respectable. I think it's can often be really hard to see the next generation lazing around and thinking oh, I had it so tough and I was working so hard and it, there can, it can it's easy to just make to I think to punish kids to some extent, to toughen them up through sports, to think that sports will be the way to toughen them up. And I I just would caution against that. I think sports when they're little should really be fun because you want them to keep playing so they have all the benefits of sports as they age and they stay active. Yeah, yeah. I probably think the same way, right? Like, son of a gun, right? Like, I gave you this $400 carbon fiber bat. What do you mean you got to walk? You didn't use the damn thing, right? Exactly, exactly. And it just, that's the other point I wanted to raise. There's a lab at Utah State, Travis Dorsch runs the Families and Sport Lab, that found that the more parents spend on their kids' sports, the less kids liked it and the more pressure they felt. You go and buy a $400 bat or $200 goalie glove and... At least in our house, those goalie gloves became a dog toy. And it just, it's, it's not helpful to the kids. It's not, it's getting too much parental, like baggage, parental baggage gets involved there. Yeah. Just because we live in the best neighborhood and you didn't grow up on the kind of the fringier area that we did back then doesn't mean that I have to give it to you in in the sports world. To resist. Yeah. Something that comes to mind, like I have a lot of informal mentors, that are like maybe 20 years older than myself. But Mm -hmm. you know what, in general, these guys are like 20, $30 million network plus. And their opinion is like, look, we buy our kids whatever they want. We totally spoil them. They're going to come out how they came out. Because we came out, we did okay with what we had and we didn't have much. So there's no sense controlling, trying to control destiny or control fate Mm -hmm. out of their Mm -hmm. way. And I thought that Mm -hmm. was very refreshing, especially coming from somebody who was a that is. Know, self-made multi-millionaire. They didn't come through with it. That is refreshing. And it's very counter to what you, I was expecting you to say yeah. and what I think you often hear. And I agree. I do think kids are, they're going to turn out, they're going to, they are who they are. You can shape it on the margins, but it's grandiose to think that it's going to, influence is going to be that much greater than that. Yeah. Let's end here on a kind of a fun topic everybody likes to talk about, which is the bad coaches and the bad behavior. Mm -hmm. For those people, maybe people are aware, but maybe these these few issues that kind of come up. All you have to do is watch the local news or get on Twitter or something, and you can see these horrible stories of parents yelling and screaming at referees and going ballistic at coaches. And unfortunately, this problem, since the pandemic, since we've begun to come out of the pandemic has actually gotten worse because people are so enraged about everything these days. And to the point where there's now like a referee shortage, it's harder and harder for leagues to get officials. Also, on the one hand, this is a real struggle for me in writing my book to kind of address issues that on the one hand, you have parents that can be out of control and just belligerent and determined that the coach is going to do exactly what you want, the parent wants. And on this, by the same token, as we've seen with the Larry Nassar scandal and pick your poison 
there are so many coaching abuses as well. So the parents have to keep their eyes on coaches. That's the, there was the friction in youth sports is this adversarial quality between or adversarial nature of coaches and parents. And I certainly encourage parents to give the coach the benefit of the doubt and say, thank you, unless you're the coach and provided you've done your due diligence and you know that they're not predators or malefactors of some kind, give the coach the benefit of the doubt and say, thank you, or volunteer yourself when they're little. Yeah. Or just accept the fact that your kid sucks. You know, it's no good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Grit, no amount of grit. They'll get better. Grit will make your child get better if they have it, but it's not going to make them great if they're not inclined that way to begin with. And if they don't have any natural interest in it, maybe because they're not good at it. You don't tend to like things you're not good at. So be real about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad when kids are good at a certain sport, but they don't like it. And then they get pushed. Probably <laughs> yeah. all the doc- Probably doctors are crying inside now. Doing it. Just kidding. Jeez, guy. We're all the same, right? <laughs> Included happen to be good at math. So they parents make me come. We all do it. But yeah, anything else to uh, kind of close us out that you think it might be beneficial to the yes, uh, okay, you call yes. our group out there, the simple passive cash flow tribe, I guess. Doesn't seem yes, so it's passive, an interest- right? The recovering, it's- active, trying to be passive people. Yeah. Yes, I was trying to make sense of your podcast clientele. I would say, yes, I was thinking about it a little bit today when I was out running. And I thought that if you're like a conscientious parent and you're like, should I buy the $400 bat and the $200 gloves? I think, or spend $5,000 for summer camp, summer tennis camp. I think it's, you can always use sports as an opportunity to teach your kids about money also. To say, if you're the kind of parent that is comfortable talking about money and how you value it or how you want to spend it, how it reflects your values, you can say, if you, ha- if you can't afford it, if money's not an object, you shouldn't be spending all this money if you can't afford it. Anyway, but say money is no object and you can pay for the $5,000 tennis game. You can say, I want you to understand that we can afford this and it's important to us. We want to support your interest. At the same time, we're not going to buy a whole new set of clothes or a whole new set of rackets for you because that would be just because we can't afford it doesn't mean it's wise. I guess that's the bottom line that you can use sports as a way to say, yes, we can't afford it, but it doesn't make it smart. And here's why, because the more parents pay for sports, the more they invest in their kids' sports, the less the kid enjoys it. And I want you to love tennis. So while I'll send you to this camp, we're not going to buy you four new racks. But there's a way to use sports to express your values. You can also say, you know what? I'm going to send you to that camp, but I also want you to realize if you're the kind of person who's philanthropic, say, that we can afford this, but there are lower income families in our community who can't. And I think I want you to know that if I you if we pay for this camp, I'm then going to give a donation to a youth sports organization that helps underprivileged kids in our community so they can play too, because I don't feel good about the fact that by virtue of our wealth, you get to play and they don't. So that's, it's another example. Again, I don't know if your clientele, some probably are inclined that way, but it is using, you can use sports as a way to express your values and how much you're spending on the sports. If money is no object, there's still plenty of opportunities to talk about how you want your money to be spent 
and why you're spending it this way. Thanks for jumping on. And folks, if you're like me, that your spouse says you can't read any more entrepreneur or real estate or investing books, and you're like, you hate nonfiction books, I would say this would be a good in-between, something a little <laughs> bit different. So again, the book is Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania Ruining Kids Sports and Why It Matters by Linda Flanagan. It should be out by late August, early September. So check it out on Amazon. But uh, thanks for jumping on, guys. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure to be here. And that's the show, folks. I have a, I would like to share a couple stories from my childhood and as just to offer as a data point. I'm not passing any judgment or not giving advice because that's one of the tenants that we talk about in our family office, Ohana. I have a policy where we don't give each other advice because uh, that's what lame parents do. And here we are. We want to add value to each other. So we speak from experience. So here's my experience share. When I, my sport in, when I was a child was baseball and I, yeah, I think my parents really not, never really got on the bandwagon of sending their kids to all this stuff that we do today. I got started, I think like when I was 10 or 11 playing baseball. So I couldn't even really throw the ball when other kids have been doing the dang sport for three, four years. Looking back, I wish I would have, I wish they would have maybe signed up a little earlier so I could develop as opposed to being like years behind the other kids. I eventually caught up by then you got to do high school. That's more important, right? Doing high school to get a GPA to go to college. At least I was at the time. And the kind of the second thing, again, like I, I think I wasn't that great of athlete. So I was probably like the 80% of the other kids who picked grass in the outfield and just wished the game was over so we could hang out and eats a potluck. But that was really the only things I remember. I I remember there was one kid who had a $100 bat at the time, which was like a fortune, which is the equivalent of a $400 carbon fiber bat. And I remember the kids around me, and I think maybe probably the messaging from my parents was like, why would somebody spend so much money on a bat? And looking back on it, you know, maybe that wasn't the best thing that they could have said, right? Like maybe we should acknowledge that kids' parents to be putting money into where their mouth was and to then to just saying, oh, that kid's spoiled or that parent is spoiling their kid. Now, I'm not saying that's the best way, but I'm just looking back on the vivid childhood that I had. I can't really remember too much. Uh, that was something I definitely remember. And I'm definitely conscious of these ways we view wealth, right? Like I think a very unhappy wealth mindset is people look at very rich people and they go down on them saying, oh, they're greedy. They take from other people. I definitely think today the people who are affluent, especially entrepreneurs or business owners, they're the ones that create jobs for everybody else. Sure, I think in a way, Michael Jordan beat up on people, but at the end of the day, he brought people up. And when people got on board, he was probably one of the best teammates. That's what, to me, a good business leader is. Or even, even if in a company, you're a middle management or senior management or greater. And then the last thing to leave off with, really the other memories I had was just hanging out with the other people. So after it's all said and done, that's really all I remember. Maybe if you're a parent out there, maybe just take that for food for thought and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.